Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. Uh, our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the, tre the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. 
This is the word of the Lord. So first of all, you guys like this new sound system? You put a new sound? Yeah, it's uh, pretty nice. Huh? Okay, Luke 3. So I want you guys to imagine something for a second. Imagine one day someone showed up at your door. And they knocked on the door, or they rang your doorbell, and you opened the door, and they said this to you. They said, a week from now, a box of clothes is going to arrive. A new box is going to arrive, and it's going to have a whole new wardrobe in it. And it'll fit better than any clothes that you've ever owned. It'll make you feel more like yourself than you ever had. These will be the best clothes you could possibly imagine. But... In order to receive this package, you have to get rid of all your old clothes. You don't get to wait till the new stuff comes, right? And try it on and kind of mix and match. You have to get rid of the old stuff. You have to get rid of your favorite pair of jeans. You have to get rid of your favorite work clothes. You have to get rid of that old hoodie that you've owned since high school that just means so much to you. You have to clean out your whole closet or else the new wardrobe can't fit. Unless you have an empty closet, you can't receive the new wardrobe. So what'd you do? Would you get rid of your clothes? Gain says yes. <laughs> and again, this is the promise that the new clothes are so much better than the old ones, right? They'll fit better, they'll make you feel more at home. They are clothes that were made for you from the beginning of time, made specifically for you. But you have to get rid of the old stuff first. And unless you get rid of the old, you can't receive the new. Would you do it? So tonight we're looking at John 3, verses 1 to 20, the ministry of John the Baptist, right? And John has this simple message. He, he basically says a whole new thing is coming. A whole new thing. Bigger and better than anything that has ever come before. But in order to receive it, you need to clear out some space. You need to make room for the new thing. You need to get ready for the new thing to come. You have to let go of the old ways for the new thing to come. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Keep doing that. Okay, so we're going to dig into this passage here and, and go in depth. But I want to do a weird little aside, first of all. Um, this passage starts with this really dense section, verses 1 and 2, that I know you probably all were super enthralled by. So you can put it up on the slides there. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iorea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So I know you guys were all thinking, right, is this actually when Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene? I mean, like, I know, you know, he, he was an okay tetrarch. Um, Anyway, I bring this up um, because there's actually just a fun little 
side here. What's going on here is in the ancient world, there wasn't actually an agreed upon way to do dates. So one of the most common ways that you did dates in the ancient world was by the ruler. You would say, hey, in the 23rd year of Augustus Caesar, this thing happened. You would mark the date by how long that ruler had been in power. And people generally kind of knew when different rulers were, and you could mark things. Or in the, 20th, in the seventh year of King Darius of Persia, you'd say this thing happened. So in our passage for tonight, it actually starts this way, right? It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And we know from history that Tiberius reigned in Rome starting in about 14 AD. So that the ministry of John the Baptist begins somewhere around 29 AD. So that's a kind of neat fact about this passage. But what I think is super neat is that most of us don't realize this. And I don't think I realized this about two years ago. We still use this dating system. Do you guys know that? So what year is it right now? 2021, that's right. I was waiting for somebody to say 2020, because of course I've been writing that all week long. Um, 2021. 2021 what? AD. Does anyone know what AD stands for? After death. What's that? After death. After, it's not actually after death. That's a common misperception. It stands for, you can pull up that next slide. Anyo Doni, which means the year of our Lord, or it's actually a shortened version of the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. So technically, every time you say the date, what you're saying is that we are in the two, 2021st year of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're actually using the exact same system in the 2021st year of the reign of Christ, marked all the way back to his birth. So that's kind of cool, right? This is my nerdy aside. This doesn't have actually a lot to do with the passage. I just thought we should mark that because it's, it's something like, I always knew that meant the year of our Lord, but I don't think I realized we were still marking dates based on kings. And every time we did that, we're proclaiming that Christ is king. So think about that. Every time this week you're at 2020 and cross it out after 2021, you are declaring that Jesus is king. And you can invite yourself actually to remember that, that Christ is King. Got it? Okay, now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> so in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we've already heard a lot about John in the book of Luke. Um, what did we learn about John? What do we know about John? He's a Nazarite. He's a Nazarite. So yeah, he is out in the wilderness. He doesn't drink alcohol. He's got long hair. He's wearing camel's fur and eating locusts. Um, what else? He's preaching the forgiveness of sins. He's the cousin of Jesus, right? We, we heard this whole story. His mom is Elizabeth, and his dad is Zechariah. And we got to go through this whole story of Zechariah seeing the angel and being told about this and losing his voice and ultimately giving up his son John, essentially to go live in the wilderness and be a prophet of God. And now he appears in the wilderness preaching. And again, if I can summarize his message, it's this. A whole new thing is coming. We might not always catch like the, the full sense of what's going on in this passage of how big this message is. But first of all, John appears in the wilderness 
in the wilderness. That detail is not insignificant. Throughout the biblical history, the wilderness is the place of renewal. It's the place where God makes things new. It's where God starts the covenant and restores the covenant. In Exodus, the wilderness is the place where God turns the people of Israel into his covenant people. And in Kings, the wilderness is where Elijah goes to meet God. And in Isaiah, our passage that gets quoted here tonight, Isaiah 40, is in the wilderness, out of the wilderness, that God will restore his people into a new covenant, a greater covenant than what came before. In just one chapter over, of course, we see Jesus go out into the wilderness to be prepared for his public ministry. Wilderness is the place of renewal. It's one of the clues we get that John is doing something new. Not just a spiritual touch-up, but something new. I mean, people come out to John, not for like a, a, a spa retreat, right? This isn't like the weekend retreat. It's to be made new. And one of the ways that's being symbolized is in the fact that he's baptizing people. Um, John didn't invent the symbol of baptism. It's been used in many places before as the symbol of cleansing. And yet, what's interesting is it had come to be kind of prominent as a way that when you join Judaism, you would get baptized. And yet, what John is doing, right, is he's saying that everyone, not just the Gentiles, everyone that comes out to him needs to be baptized. So in the same way, right, it's not about getting just like a little spiritual touch-up, right? And he says that to him, like, you don't, don't, count, don't count on the fact that you're children of Abraham. Don't count on the fact that you have Jewish origins. You're not good just because you have the right boxes in the chapter. You need to be the Something new needs to happen. You need to be washed clean and restored and brought into the new thing. And he's up front, right? He says he's not the Messiah. He is not the one bringing the new thing. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So again, this new thing is coming. Something bigger, something fuller, something more powerful than they have seen before. And this is important for us to remember, right? When the kingdom of God comes, first through Jesus and then in our lives, and it's still kind of trying to come in every day, it's not this kind of like spiritual touch-up. We've treated it like that a lot of times, right? Of like, oh, it, you know, it, it comes to give you some spiritual warm feelings or maybe make you 10% nicer. Instead, no, the calling of Jesus is an invitation into this dynamic reality called the kingdom of God. And when we step into that reality, it changes everything. It changes how we think about our careers, how we think about our identities, how we think about marriage, how we think about politics and power, how we think about money, how we think about all of these things should be shaped by this dynamic reality of the kingdom of God. And so John tells them, you can't just switch out a shirt or two, right? This isn't a matter of just getting a Jesus shirt into your wardrobe that's filled with all this other stuff. You need to get rid of the whole thing and start new. He says that in a couple different ways. Then. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, right? It's not just an interchange, and it's not just an outer change. It has to be both. You can't just go to church and kind of feel bad every now and then. He says, you actually have to let it change you. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Let the, the ugliness be rooted out of you so that good things can come out of your life. And he said it's not just like an internal thing. It's not just you and God thing. It has to change how you relate to your neighbor. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. That when we come into the kingdom of God, it changes how we relate to one another. 
that we experience the radical generosity of God and say, now we give that away to others all around us. He tells them to not cheat or extort anyone. Don't skim off the top, right? You're living in a new thing. You need to get rid of the extra stuff, the old ways, so that you can make room for the new thing to come. Be content with your pay, he says. If you're caught up in selfish ambition, how to get ahead, how to have more, how to make a title for yourself, how to be a person of influence and power, that will fill up all your space and there won't be room to receive the new thing when it comes. So John tells them there's a new thing coming. It's a powerful thing. It's a dynamic thing. It will change everything. And it's a good thing. But you need to make room to receive it. You need to clean out that closet to receive the new wardrobe. And that kingdom is still trying to break into our lives. Maybe we've been Christians our whole lives, maybe just for a week, but still every day that kingdom is knocking on the door. Jesus is knocking on the door saying, let me make everything new. And that same question has to come to us. Do we have room to receive it? So we can go back to this wardrobe analogy, right? If someone showed up with the promise of the new wardrobe, would you actually do it? Would you actually get rid of the clothes? Or if you were there with John the Baptist and he said to you, the kingdom of God is coming, get rid of your old ways so that you can receive the kingdom of God, would you do it? And if Jesus looked you in the eye and said, leave your nets behind, would you do it? And knowing that the kingdom of God still wants to break in all around you, that God still wants to turn you upside down, would you get rid of the things that clog up the space? The old ways that make it impossible to receive the new. I admit it's not easy, right? We don't keep the old clothes around because they suck. We keep them around because they're comfortable. Even if we know they're killing us, they're familiar, right? We don't hold on to old patterns for no reason. We go back to things like pornography or alcohol or other vices, like that old hoodie, because they're old friends. We know what they feel like and they feel good and we might even have nostalgia for the times that we spent with them, even if we know they're killing us. And things like bitterness and resentment and hatred of others are toxic. They will kill us, but we go back to them because self-pity is so comfortable, right? It's like a warm blanket when you think everybody else is wrong. Everybody else is wrong to me. And ambition can be a really good thing unless it turns into self-obsession and then it's really hard to get rid of because it provides us so much identity. To think, I'm this person, I have this job, I have this title, I'm going for this thing, I'm, a, I'm someone who does right, I contribute to these causes, look at, you know, I, this is identity. And then it's difficult. 
to root those things out when they don't line up with the new thing. How about for you? What are your old clothes? What are your patterns and routines that belong to the old ways? Do you know why you always go back to them? What did they do for you? It's hard to let go of them, and I get it, but as long as we cling to them, we can't receive the new thing. And here's the good news for tonight. The new clothes really are better. Do we know that? If you actually do the Jesus things, you will feel lighter and freer. You'll have more sense of purpose. You'll actually find yourself. Do we actually believe that Jesus was right? All the things that he told us to do? Do we believe that, that, that it would actually be good to do those things? Things like forgiveness or generosity or faith or trust in God or lack of worry or care for the poor or peace or sobriety? The cross, love of enemies, unconditional love? Do we like the new clothes? I imagine the answer for most of us is we like the idea of them, but they're a little too scary and risky to get rid of the old ways. And so what most of us do is we have like a half-and-half half closet, right? Do you agree with that? Like we have, a, we, have half the, we have half the old stuff still sitting in there, and then half some Jesus stuff. And maybe we have more Jesus stuff one year, and we're doing pretty good, and we got rid of some old things. But we still have this mixed wardrobe, and we kind of end up looking like this guy. There he is. Yeah, that's us. That's our Jesus clothes right there, right? We, we got it halfway, and we're, we're all clashed out, and it doesn't make any sense. And this is why our witness is so lame half the time, right? Because we're like, we, we got one or two Jesus garments on, but the rest of our clothes kind of stink like the world still. And this is why sanctification doesn't really happen in our lives, right? Because we have half the Jesus clothes on. And so there's not really room for things to come and make us new, for us actually to come to be like Jesus. We wonder why the kingdom of God seems so dull and why our faith seems so dull. It's because our closet is too full of the old things, the old ways. So if you want the kingdom of God to come alive in you, to have your faith, to have true power and meaning and purpose, you actually, if you actually want to smell like Jesus, you have to get rid of the old clothes. Which begs the question, how do we get rid of the old clothes, the old ways? How do we remove them? There's, there's three things I have for tonight. You probably have a million things, but three things that came to me this week as I was preparing for this. Confession, not shame. Act before you believe and change your clothes to LA. So let's talk about that first one. Confession, not shame. This one is critical. When we experience shame, when we go to shame as our primary place of dealing with our vices and our sins and our Ways. What we're essentially doing is taking those old clothes and just shoving them in the back of the closet. 
And you can think about that, right? Take that old hoodie that you know you should get rid of, and you're just putting it in the back of the closet. What's going to happen? Every day when you're like flipping through your clothes, what are you going to see? That old, old hoodie back there saying, oh, I'm so comfortable. Please just take me out. And that thing gets more tempted by the fact that it's hiding back there, and you just think, if only I could have that thing, then I'd be so happy. And what happens to the old hoodie when it's buried in the back of the closet? Does it smell better after all that time? It actually gets worse. It gets moldy. And that's what happens when we use shame as our primary means to deal with sin. It's like that hoodie hidden in the back of the closet. It actually gets worse. And instead, what you need to do is take that thing and you bring it out and put it in the middle of the light and go, oh yeah, that thing's pretty ugly. That doesn't actually fit. That belongs to a person I'm not anymore. But you actually have to pull it out of the closet and show it to, show it to yourself, show it to your friends, show it to anyone you can. Bring the thing out to the light and see it for what it is. And I know confession is difficult. It's difficult to talk about the ugly things in our life. But here's the good news of the gospel. You are loved unconditionally no matter what. So you can talk to God about anything. And God will not throw you out. God will not be angry with you. God actually says, I know. I know you love that hoodie. So let's talk about that. And as Christians, we're supposed to show each other that unconditional love, especially when someone's being honest, especially when someone's in confession, especially when someone's repenting. So that's our calling for all of us, too, that we can be the sort of people who can help someone pull that stuff out of their closet and show it. Because that's how it gets taken care of. So where do you need to practice confession? Where have you buried the old clothes rather than bringing them into the light? I encourage you to take a risk and talk about it. Because only then will the old clothes lose their power. Alright, so that was my first one. Confession, not shame. Second, act before you believe. One of the challenges of this, to go back to our analogy, is you have to get rid of the old stuff before you can receive the new stuff. You have to take a risk at times. It's never going to make sense to give your money away. You're never going to come to the place where you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that seems really comfortable. But instead, you have to at some point take a risk of faith and just do it. And when you do it, you'll see that God provides for you. You'll see that you feel more free and more light. You'll see that you have greater love for your neighbor when you do that thing. But if you're waiting for the day that it makes sense, it ain't going to happen. The new thing is scary because there's always a chance that it won't work out. There's always a chance that God won't show up. And you always will always feel safer and more comfortable. But the only way that you will find the new thing is to just do it. At some point, you gotta jump. You gotta practice radical forgiveness and see what happens and choose faith over anxiety and see what happens and choose prayer over busyness and see what happens. And these are the promises of God that he will show up. We have to actually trust that Jesus was right and live into the new things even if you don't yet believe it. Even if your heart is not yet there. 
But what you're doing when you do that is getting rid of the old clothes and making space for the new ones. You're learning to wear the new clothes. You're learning to try them on and see that these are actually the clothes that were made for you. Where do you need to take a risk of faith and trust the new clothes? And lastly, the old clothes are sneaky. Right? I don't know if you have this at, at, at your house. I have like a thrift store pile where it's like things go when I know I need to get rid of them. Like they end up in a pile on the floor. And I should take them and get rid of them right away, but you know, the thrift store is not open today. Or I'm too busy. And then laundry day comes and I don't have any other clothes and what happens? You end up back in the old clothes, right? I don't know if that happens to anybody else, literally, but uh, this is the way of the old clothes. They have this way of sneaking up and coming back and kind of like we, it's like we wake up and we're wearing that old hoodie again. And so Paul, in nearly every one of his letters, will actually use this language of take off the old self and put on the new self. Take off and put on. It's actually the same word as changing your clothes. Paul uses this over and over. Take off the deeds of darkness and put on your own of light. And what he's saying is that we need to actually do the self-examination very regularly to see, huh, how did I put back in the old clothes? How did I let resentment and bitterness come back in? How did I let that addictive pattern come back in? I need to take the old thing off and put on the new. One phrase that's helped me with this a lot um, is just this. It's this very simple phrase, but it's helped me a lot. I follow Jesus now. It's this way of declaring to myself, like, no, I belong to the new thing. The old clothes don't fit anymore. These are not who I am. So I want you to say that with me. I want you to practice this one. I follow Jesus now. Ready? One, two, three. I follow Jesus now. And it's a reminder to me on those days when the old clothes look so comfortable that like, no, those belong to the old thing. They belong to the old thing. They are not who I am anymore. That is not who I am. That is not who I'm called to be. It's time to leave those behind. I belong to the new thing. I follow Jesus now. So before we wrap up, I do have to make one note just on this passage. There's a lot of judgment in this passage. I don't know if you noticed that. I know everybody loves to take note of all the judgment in the passage. The best way I can summarize it is this. At some point, the old clothes are going to be burned up. They're going to be gone. And if we name them for what they are, if we see them for what they are, that's incredibly good news, right? To think that someday all the old ways will be gone. The ways of injustice, the ways of bitterness, the ways of hatred, the ways of self-destruction will all be gone. That's good news, right? Amen?
Well, where judgment gets hard is when we cling to those things and we find our identity in them and we want to remain in the old clothes. And then there comes a time when they will be taken away. And I, I often think that that's how judgment works. It's, it's, it's not necessarily that God hates us. It's that we cling to the old thing. And I actually think maybe that's a little bit of what hell is. It's the statement that I would rather go down in old clothes than be me. I'd rather just keep wearing those things, even if it means my own destruction, than be dressed in a new way. So the old clothes will be done away with. And I invite you to get to the place where that is really good news, that we can see them for what they are. And I'll just close with this last thing. The new clothes really are that good. Do we know that? I know I've been using this analogy the whole time. I hope I didn't lose us all in the analogy and the metaphor. The things Jesus calls us to, the identities Jesus gives us, the ways he calls us to live in this world, they are that good. They fit better than anything we've ever had before. They will make us feel more like ourselves than we ever have been. They truly are the clothes that were made for us at the beginning of time. So I invite you to remember that and take joy over that. It's hard to get rid of the old stuff. I get it. But the new is that good. So take joy and be made alive. A new thing is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. And it's better than anything we have ever known before. Amen. Amen. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.